Hello, everyone. I'm Anita, and I'm, uh, uh, I've been in this church since uh, Easter last year, and um, uh, I'm British, East African Asian, and uh, I'm married to Jerry, and uh, I have a lovely multicultural family. And uh, I'm uh, pleased to say that uh, when we walked into this church, it just felt like home. And so I want to say, start off by really saying thank you. Thank you so much. Because actually when you want to find home, it's sometimes very difficult. And in London, it's particularly difficult. Um, And so I just want to say to the congregation, thank you so much for helping us to feel at home. Uh, It's been wonderful. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be speaking on uh, the hardest word in the English language. Do you know what it is? Any guesses? Maybe forgiveness, yeah. It's a bit like that. Um, it's the hardest word in the English language is saying sorry. <laughs> it's so hard to say. And it happens everywhere. And we tell our children, go and say sorry all the time. But adults, it's the hardest word. And I'm going to tell you a story about some very, very dear friends of ours. Um, so this couple, they're very dear friends of ours. We've lived in London uh, all, uh, you know, all our working lives. They live kind of 10 minutes away, and uh, um, we were really good buddies. We did so many things together. We, uh, we um, did all sorts of social action, um, all sorts of events and things in Peckham. And, uh, and if there was any uh, challenge to us to do something, we would be there. So my friends and I and other people, we would just get up and galvanize and go and do it, whether that was a fair um, or whether that was uh, being in a, a, a helping people move house or whatever it was, we would do it. We were such great friends. We also had a, a cultural affinity with one another. Uh, my friends are, are West Indian. And uh, we loved each other very much. One of, one of our friends, uh, uh, my friend, fantastic worship leader, and, you know, um, and her husband, fantastic youth leader. Um, and they had lots and lots of um, input into our family. I have two girls. They're not little anymore. They're 32 and 35. And um, so, you know, they had a lot to do with us. And we did all these amazing things. And one of the things that we did that was really interesting was that we got this phone call from a school in Southwark. And it was, uh, and, uh, it was a school where there was very high teenage pregnancy. And uh, the school asked us, uh, we, uh, I ran a family centre in Peckham, uh, asked us if we would come and help their youth leader to help um, the girls in the school particularly to cons- think about... Um, pregnancy and parenting, and to actually not think about becoming pregnant. So could, could we do something? And do you know this amazing team got together, and we came up with all sorts of creative ideas. We went into the school, and we did this course. We'd never done it before, and it was really successful. And then we got a phone call a few weeks later, which also said, um, Hi, we're a special needs school. We've heard that you do this thing in this school. Would you, would you like to come and uh, help us? Because we are really worried because we do have very high teenage pregnancy. Uh, and, and this little team was thinking, oh my gosh, can we do this? We don't know. 
But do you know what? We got down to it, and we ended up going to this special needs school, and we did all sorts of fantastic creative things, and actually just loved it. And that year, there was no teenage pregnancy in that school. Now, I'm telling you that because that's how good we were at being team and being friends. Um, and then, very sadly, um, uh, uh, my friends decided to leave our church. And, uh, and uh, we were really shocked because we didn't see it coming. Uh, we were really a little bit hurt that perhaps they might have said something because we were such good buddies, um, but they hadn't. And when one of these friends visited our home, I said something that was very hurtful. And, uh, and I can still see my friend standing at the door, and I said something that was really hurtful. And for 10 years, I kid you not, we didn't see each other. For 10 years, um, they lived just around the corner, and we were that close. And, uh, and so, you know, for 10 years, um, I, I think I feel guilty. I think, well, you know, they can come and see us. We're all adults. Come on, guys. It wasn't that bad. Um, but actually, uh, it was. It, it really had hurt my friend. And um, so, you know, one day I was driving by, and um, I saw them park their car, and I thought, come on, Nita Rogers, get your act together. So I parked my car, I, I got out there, and I, I went up to them and gave them the biggest hug that there was, uh, and, and didn't say sorry, didn't say sorry, just said how lovely it was to see them, and maybe we should get together. And so all these niceties were exchanged, and, and actually, nothing changed. I got in my car, went back home. And then one day, I was at home, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I love them. I miss them. You know, our, our children had got married. You know, different people had died. And, you know, all these big things had happened in our lives that we'd always shared. And yet, you know, we were missing out on each other. And so I um, got up. I walked down the road, I knocked on the door, and I went, I'm really sorry, I hurt you. I'm so sorry I hurt you. And you know, my friends just hugged me. And, uh, and there was this amazing exchange of news, super quick, because we were trying to catch up 10 years. You know? And so saying sorry is one of the hardest things to do, and yet it's really important to do. And so if you're here today, and you're thinking about perhaps a relationship or whatever it might be where you need to say sorry, I would encourage you to think about that because actually saying um, when these things happen, uh, they create a barrier between us and we need to not actually turn away, but we need to actually turn towards people. We need to say, we're really sorry I hurt you. We're really sorry that we did this thing that was wrong. And we need to be reconciled really quickly. And then we need to start to invest in our relationship. So that was a good ending to that story, wasn't it? And there's another good ending, another story that I'll tell you about in a minute. Uh, I just want to read to you Romans um, 7.18. And this kind of um, demonstrates the dilemma that we have as human beings. Because, you know, we want to do good, don't we? We want to do good to each other. 
want to live a good life. We want to make life better for other people. And yet in Romans, this is what a, a Christian says. For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, but the bad I don't want to do, and I keep doing it. Now, as we look at our world, let's look at the world, the state of our world. It's really depressing when you turn the news on. And actually, I'm very grateful to be married to Jerry, who will, who will help me go through the pain threshold, because I just want it all to end happily ever after. And actually, he's very good at saying, come on, Nick, let's look at these issues and explaining some of them that I don't understand because he, he knows about these things. But we look at the world, there's lots of poverty. Now we're talking about plagues, lies, destruction, injustice. So who's going to save us? Who's going to save us from all this? Well, I think there's one person that I know who's going to save us. And at the age of 10 in Kenya, I'm from East Africa, Kenya, I was sitting in a temple, so I'm from a Sikh background, um, thinking about about what I was hearing, which was that we have to work very hard. I'm trying to climb stairs, but I can't really. Very hard (laughs) to get to God. And if we really, really make it by being good, then we're going to be okay. But actually, you know, the most amazing thing that I heard, actually, from some missionaries that came all the way from um, America was that God had already come to me. He'd already moved into my neighborhood. He'd already come because he knew, he knew I couldn't be good. And so he had a solution uh, to my badness. So he came to save me. And so how did he do that? I think we've sung quite a lot today and you're already aware of all of this. John 3, 16, 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you know, I, I would find it really difficult to give my daughters, my two darling daughters, and now I have a granddaughter sitting over there. That would be the worst in the world. There's no way anyone could have her. You know, but God, eternal God, God who made the universe, God who made you, is willing to let go of his son so that you and I can have a relationship with him. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, whoever you are, whichever background you're from, whichever ethnicity you're from, whatever your your history is, whoever uh, believes in him shall not perish. You know, and I was thinking about this word perish. You you know, they say perishables and non-perishables, you know, when you go and get your perishables and your, I don't know, your aubergine, If you don't do something with it, it just goes bad, doesn't it? Uh, And yeah, you know, you've got your lentils. You can just have them any time you like. It's non-perishable, okay? So God doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to be like a non-perishable, okay? He wants us to be like a non-perishable, okay? And instead, instead of like... It's perished and it's finished and it's ended. He wants to give you and me eternal life, an eternal life full of goodness. 
So um, I'll just carry on. <laughs> For God uh, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that actually most of the time we're worried about what we do really badly? I don't know if you do, I do. I worry about, oh, what will they think, you know, and so on. Do things badly. But actually God didn't send his son into the world to condemn you. He actually sent his son into the world to save you, to save me, to save you. So we know that Jesus lived and died on the cross, taking all our wrongdoing once and for all, because he really wanted to deal with it. It was enough. You know, sometimes it's just enough, like it was enough that I hadn't said sorry, and I just needed to go and do it, and it was enough. Uh, so he, he, once for all, Jesus came and he died, uh, and, and uh, he died for our wrongdoing, because he wanted to deal with that. And he was raised from the dead, he was seen by lots of people, and then he went back with the promise of returning one day. So he went back to his father with a promise of returning one day. And in the meantime, he said he was going to send a very special gift to his followers. And that's really what I'm here to talk about, although I've talked a bit already. So I'm going to read you Acts 2, 1 to 11. So if you want to follow me, please do. Now, this is in Jerusalem, um, in Israel, in Jerusalem. And uh, so Jesus had come, he'd lived, he'd died, then he was raised to life, and he went back to his father. And he said to his disciples, go back and wait for me, because I'm going to send you a present. I'm going to send you a gift. And uh, wait until that gift comes. And then go into all the world and tell everyone that I've come to save them. Okay, so uh, that's what was happening. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And I was thinking, this is quite a good representative of tongues of fire here, aren't they? As I was watching Joy dance, you know, like tongues of fire, you know, up here. Uh, uh, and uh, so, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a teacher, so <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> so there they were, um, in this house, there was this clash-bang sound and a strong wind, um, and then these disciples, these followers of Jesus, seemed to have tongues of fire coming out of, uh, above them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in tongues, in other tongues, uh, as the Spirit enabled them. I want to talk about other tongues You know, um, there were lots and lots of uh, people in Jerusalem that, uh, that were watching these disciples with tongues of fire and speaking in other tongues. And they thought they were drunk, and I think they were drunk too, probably. But actually, the Jews that were in Jerusalem, 
had come from all over the world. They'd come from Crete, they'd come from India, they had come from Greece, they were from all over the world. And although they could all speak Aramaic, which was the, the, the language that everyone spoke, and they could speak Greek, actually what they heard was their geographical language. And this was the amazing thing about that, you know, to hear uh, 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 your own language. And I want to talk a little bit about that, because why didn't, why didn't this gift, this Holy Spirit that came on people, why didn't they just speak in English, if we were all English? Uh, because we all speak English. Why didn't they speak in Greek? Because that's what the people talked about. Why didn't they speak in Aramaic? Why was it that everyone heard God's glory or heard praise being given to God in their own tongue? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God is really interested in our diversity. You know, he's really interested. He's hitting it home. He's saying, actually, I'm going to talk to you in the thing that makes you fizz. You know, in the thing that tells you who your, what your identity is, what your values are, what your preferences are, what your contribution is, all of those things, because I love you. God loves diversity, and that's one of the wonderful things here, because we're all quite diverse here, and London is very diverse, isn't it? So we have the privilege of actually being with each other, and God really wanted to communicate that. He wants us to be fully included, our identity, our culture, our values, all that is dear to us, that deep calling to deep, fully included. There's no partiality at all. There's neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave or free, nor there is, is there male or female, but we are all one in Christ. So we're equal and diverse. How exciting is that? I can only think of a celebration where everyone goes home and makes gorgeous food and brings it round and we invite people from outside and we all eat together. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because that's a real celebration of our diversity food is. Um, but not just in words. What does that mean for church? You know, we don't need to just say that in words. Actually, we're all equal and we're all diverse. But actually, we need to see that in action, don't we? We need to see that in our strategies. We need to, to be the body of Christ, the diverse and equal body of Christ in the church so that out the church can also be in the church equal and diverse. Do you know there's some... Um, we have to cherish uh, that diversity and encourage it it's full richness in the body of Christ. We have to make a relationship. It's really, you know, it's really terrifying making a relationship. I'm, um, as you can see, I, I often call myself small and Indian. Uh, and, uh, I'm on two uh, boards. Two, I'm a trustee on two big boards. Uh, and actually, I never wanted to do that because actually, really, although I'm performing for you, I'm quite shy, really. I'm not a, an upfront person. Um, and I didn't want to do that, but I did it because I really believe that boards need to be diverse. And, you know, when I went to one of the boards, uh, this, this is no disrespect to anyone, 
But it was all white men, about 70, and they didn't know what to say to me. And I was petrified because I didn't know what to say to them. Or that I'm married to Jerry, who's white, as it happens, you know. So I had the skills. <laughs> he keeps me on my toes. <laughs> but I was petrified. I was petrified. But actually, you know, you have to be courageous in difference. You have to be courageous. You have to go towards instead of moving away from. You know, you have to go towards instead of moving away from. So make a relationship. Be curious. Ask questions. Learn. Invest in a relationship. You know, one of the things in London is that people do feel quite isolated sometimes. So invest in that relationship. Don't just say hello once. Go back and go back and go back until a relationship's established so that people feel at home. So really, in terms of cherishing our diversity and encouraging its richness in the body of Christ, we want to make a relationship, be curious, ask questions, invest. We need to also do something that's quite important, which is understand our history. You know, why do people behave the way that they do? Why are all these debates on television or in the workplace or whatever around all of this? Because there's a history behind there. And, and being curious and finding out about that's quite important. And then, of course, you know, uh, things like attitudes, behaviors, worship, teaching, pastoral care, leadership, celebrations, cross-generationally, how we outreach, how we fellowship, they're all about being diverse and equal. I do have to just uh, say, I'm, my son-in-law is just gone, but I will just say, when my son-in-law, who is um, uh, uh, a Nigerian African, British Nigerian African, married my daughter, and they married at St. Stephen's Church, and we went to the wedding, and there was some worship, and I can tell you, there was no roof left at St. Stephen's because the praise was out of this world. It was completely heavenly. So, you know, we all have individual gifts and even culturally we have gifts and we need to cherish and, and uh, actually uh, participate in that. So I'd invite you, you know, if you're a, a diverse person, and we all are actually, uh, everyone's diverse in some way, you know, don't hang on to your gifts. Come, come and participate because there are many, many opportunities here and have courage to do that. But then getting back to my text because I'm really supposed to be talking about Acts 2. So we've had the tongues of fire. We've had, you know, God speaking to people in different languages. Uh, and then... Um, and we've also had an understanding of what Jesus did on the cross for us. The, the Jews that were listening to all of this, the people that were listening to all of this, because they weren't just Jews, there were other people there, because it was a very multicultural place, said, what does this mean? Acts 2.17 Are these guys drunk? What does it mean? And Peter stood up and he said, no, they're not drunk. It's early in the morning. It's nine o'clock. No, this is what was spoken 
by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's all people, everybody. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. I think God's very dramatic. I really like that. (laughs) The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day, the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does this mean? Well, God's spirit is for everyone. Can you imagine eternal God who made the heavens, made the earth, that watched you form in your mother's womb, that he gives you his spirit, you know, so that you haven't got a temple that you go to. You know, um, I've been to lots of temples, as it happens, um, where you hope to find God. But actually, God has come to live inside you. Can you imagine how big that is? That the God of the universe should come and be inside you, you human being. That's a really big thing. So God's spirit is for everyone, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus made this possible by getting rid of our, our wrongdoing once, once and for all. He adopted us, he made us a new creation, and he put his spirit in us so that we can live a different way because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. There's no one that does good. It's only God that's good. So, of course, the next question would be, what shall we do, said these guys when they heard all this. And Acts 2:37 to 39 tells us. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You don't have to carry your sins anymore because you've been forgiven. The promises to you and to your children and for all that are far off. You know, here we are in church, but there's a world out there. For all whom the Lord will call, and God is calling all people to repent and be baptized. Well, what does that mean? It means what I did with my friends. You have to turn towards God. You have to say, Lord, I'm really sorry for all the stuff in my life that's wrong. And the stuff that's been done to me, that's wrong. You have to be reconciled. I really want you in my life. Please come into my life. Please give me your Holy Spirit. Please clean me up. And I want to actually turn away from my life over here. And I want to live my new life with Christ in me, God in me and a a family around me. But you know, the choice is yours. Because God doesn't make people do that. But it does involve turning towards God. It does involve saying sorry. 
does involve being reconciled like I was with my darling friends, and it does involve baptism, which is a, a, a kind of a public turning away from walking one way and walking a different way. And you know, that wonderful Holy Spirit that God fills you with will remind you and teach you of things that Jesus said so that you can live a life that's worthy to be lived. And of course, there's the other thing that, God said, that Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. And you know, I, I haven't got time to read you Isaiah, but I would encourage you to look at Isaiah 58 because we're here to love our neighbor, whoever they are, people next door, refugees, grandmothers in care homes, wherever they are, we need to love them as ourselves, like how we would like to be loved. You know, our children that we so um, love and, and look after and make sure everything's all right and be there for them, well, we need to do that to other people's children. That's why I became a London teacher many, many years ago, because I really wanted all children to have access to the best education there was. The choice is yours. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to stay in your, well, just is like that? Or are you going to turn to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But do you know, I want a new start. I want a new life. I want to be a new creation. I want to do good and walk with you. Because actually, people, there is, I, I know you hear, and I hear it often myself, that actually, you know, everyone does good, but no one does 100% good, only we know in our hearts, you know. So we really need God in our lives. So I would invite you to do that if that's something you haven't done. And I'd like to finish now with um, Stormzy. I thought the Stormzy I was going to finish with was a bit steamy. <laughs> so I've given you a more church version. Thank you, people. Oh.